Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Bismillah walhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala Kala rabbi syahri sadiri wa yasirli amri Wa ahlul uqdata min lisani yafqahu qawli Allahumma zidana imba All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Peace and salutations upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam His family, his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time Ahlan wa sallam wa marhaban bikum Welcome to the third lesson And this is the second last lesson And bi-idhnillah next week will be our last session So inshallah today we'll be continuing with some of the sites in Makatul Mukarrama. Right type. So, the Maqam Ibrahim, the Maqam Ibrahim, the station of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam. And So, the maqam of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam, for those that have been, you know, when you're standing basically by the Rukul Yamani at the start, then you will see, alright, I'm going to show you the picture again. Alright, it's basically this um, thing that's built up, and then in there, they have what is the footprint. Right, of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam. So the maqam of Ibrahim, the station of Ibrahim, it is the stone on which he stood. So it's, a, it's the stone on which Nabi Ibrahim stood when he, or when the building became higher. And this is referring to the Kaaba. So when he started to raise the Kaaba, when he started to build it a bit higher. And the reason for this is so that he could reach. So his son put this famous stone there for him, so that he could stand on it when the building grew. So his son, like we said, he put this famous stone there for him so that he could stand on it when the building grew tall, when the Kaaba started getting higher. And the footprints of Al-Khalil Ibrahim remained <coughs> on the rock until the beginning of Islam. Alright, so here's another picture of the Maqam of Ibrahim. And this is what they basically molded down to the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He mentions and He says وَإِذْ جَعَلْنَا الْبَيْتَ مَثَابَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَأَمْنَا وَاتَّخِذُوا مِنْ مَقَامِ إِبَرَاهِيمَ مُصَلَّى 
وعاهدنا إلى إبراهيم وإسماعيل أن طهر بيتي للطائفين والعاكفين وركع السجود And remember when we made the sacred house وإذ جعلنا البيت مثابة للناس as a center and a sanctuary for mankind واتخذوا من مقام إبراهيم مصلى and say that you may take the standing place of Ibrahim as a site of prayer. So after your tawaf, what do you do? Right, you make two rakats. The ideal place to make with the sunnah of the Prophet is to make two rakats with behind the maqam Ibrahim. However, hey people on tawaf, right around there's no place to make it directly behind. So you, the ulama said you can make it basically anywhere so if that's if the maqam Ibrahim is standing in front of you, anywhere behind it, or basically anywhere in the haram now. You can make the two raka'as. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says, وَعَهِدَنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمِ And we entrusted Ibrahim wa Ismail and his son Ismail أَن طَهِرَ بَيْتِيَ لِلطَّائِفِينَ to purify my house for those who circle it, والعاكفين, and those who circumambulate, وركع السجود, and for those who bow, right, ركوع, and sujud, for those that go into prostration. So this is the verse that proves that, where Allah says the part that we want to look at is, واتخذوا من مقام إبراهيم مصلى, that we took, we made the maqam, as a place of prayer. Ibn Kathir ta'ala, the famous Mufassir, he says, the marks of his feet were clear on it and were well known. The Arabs were familiar with that during the Jahiliya period. The Jahiliya period is a period of ignorance. And that the Muslims also knew of that. And Anas ibn Malik said, I saw the maqam on which were the marks of his toes and his heels. Right? Anas ibn Malik was a companion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Then he said, but they disappeared because of people touching them with their hands. So this also teaches us that first the maqam Ibrahim wasn't as we seen on that picture, right? It was just open. And people went to go and touch it. And later on, what happened? They obviously closed it. Why do you think they closed it? <coughs> right, okay. Keep that thought. We're going to come to that. We just remind me when we come to the black stone. Right? Can you remind me about this question? Yeah. And this brings us to Al-Hijr. What is the Hijr? Before I move on. It is part of the Kaaba. Right? What do the Kaitonians call this? The Karalchi. <laughs> and what else? Right? Some people or a lot of people refer to this as the Hijr al-Ismail. Have you heard this before? Yeah. I don't. Let's see. It is a mistake to call it the Hijr, Al-Hijr Ismail. 
because the hijr only became a hijr long after the time of Ismail. So the correct name for this is just Al-Hijr. Or some says the Hatim. Right? Or as we as Catonians, we call it the Karalchi. But, right, so to say that it is the Hijr of Ismail, then this is incorrect. Because it only came after or long after the demise and the death of Ismail alayhi salatu wasalam. The Hijr, it is part of the Kaaba. Whomsoever prays in it has prayed in the Kaaba. And praying in the Kaaba, it is only permissible to make nawafil. It is only permissible to make your nafil prayer. So you cannot make your farm in the Kaaba. Only your nafil. And this also, and this also teaches us something. That when you tawaf, you can't walk through the hijab. And obviously now it's like it's demarcated and they won't allow you to walk it. But you cannot walk through it. Why? Because you cannot tawaf in the Kaaba. And because this is part of the Kaaba, you, right, it's supposed to take a bin inside. But they never had what? They never had the funds to complete it. And the later generations, even though they had funds, like the Umawiya, right, the Abbasids, right, and even the Ottomans, and later on the Al Saud family, but they just kept it, like how it was in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Abdullah ibn Umar, who was the son of Umar ibn Khattab, he said that the Messenger of Allah entered the Kaaba accompanied by Usama ibn Zaid, Bilal ibn Rabah, Uthman ibn Talha, now Al-Hajabi. Now this Uthman ibn Talha is not Uthman ibn Ya'fan. Uthman ibn Ya'fan is a separate companion and Uthman ibn Talha, Al-Hajabi, is a separate companion. He closed the door and remained inside. Ibn Umar said, I asked Bilal when he came out, what did the Prophet wasallam do? He said, he put two pillars on his left, one pillar on his right, three pillars behind him, and at that time, the house was built on six pillars, and then he prayed, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He made two rakats of nafil salam. Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, I wanted to enter the house, meaning the Kaaba, and pray inside it. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he took me by the hand and led me into the Hijr, and he said, pray in Al-Hijr if you want to enter the house, for it is part of the house. But your people ran out of funds when they rebuilt the Kaaba, so they left it outside the house. So this is the proof that the Hijr is what? It is part of the Kaaba. So if you want to make salah in the Kaaba, the Kaaba is obviously night is locked. It's only open once or twice a year. Only dignitaries and certain people, they enter. As for others, no. But if you really want to make inside the Kaaba, they make salah in the Hijab. Because it is part of the Kaaba. And the reason why it's like that, it is because the Quraysh, they ran out of funds.
And this now we move to the next part. And this is the black stone. What is significant about the black stone? What makes the black stone special? Stone of the Tawab. Okay, stone of the Tawab. Anything else? From where? Sayyidina Umar said it, but if I didn't see the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I wouldn't have kissed you. Okay. Anything else about the black stone that you know? Was it always black? It was white. It was? White. Okay, let's see. Alright, so that is the black stone. That's where you start your tawaf. There are a number of ahadith regarding the black stone. Number one. The black stone was sent down by Allah to this earth from Jannah. So now we know the stone is from where? It is from Jannah. It was narrated that Ibn Abbas said, the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, the black stone came down from Jannah. So now we know that the stone, it is no ordinary stone. It is not just a stone that, you know, they went to some mountain, you know, Table Mountain, they took a stone and they took it there, right? They went to Jabal Uhud, they took a stone and they took it to Makkah. No. Now we understand that the stone has come from Jannah. Number two, the stone was whiter than milk, but the sins of the children of Adam made it black. So it was whiter than milk. Right? And we all know how pure white is. Ibn Abbas said, the Prophet said, when the black stone came down from paradise, so it came down from Jannah, it was whiter than milk, but the sons of Adam made it black. The sons, the sins, our sins. And how did it become black? Because of our sins touching. Right? There's a hadith of the Prophet that also says that the heart, it's like black, Dots. It's not physical dots, but right, it's dots because of our sin. Al-Mubarak Furi, right, who he wrote an explanation called Tuhfatul Ahwadi, and this is an explanation of the Jami of Imam At-Tirmidhi. He said, this means the sins of the children of Adam who touched the stone caused it to be black. The hadith should be taken at face value because there is no reason not to e not to either narrate it in a report or by virtue of common sense. So what does he mean here? What he means is, and this is something important for us to take note and to understand. Everything is taken on face value, right? Everything is taken on its literal meaning unless there's a qarina, unless there's something that tells us otherwise, unless there's something that proves to us that you don't take it on the literal meaning. So for example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, mentions his sifat in the Quran or in the authentic hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then, right, sifat means attributes. Then we accept the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on face value. And we don't question the how. We don't question how is it like this. But we accept it. So anything that has to do with the unseen, right, we accept it 
at face value and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The black stone will come forth on the day of the resurrection and will testify in favor of those who touched it in truth. So on the day of Qiyamah, this black stone is going to come forward. It's going to testify with regards to or in the favor of those who touched it. Ibn Abbas said, the Prophet said concerning the black stone, by Allah, Allah will bring it forth on the day of Qiyamah and it will have two eyes with which it will see and a tongue with which it will speak and it will testify in favor of those who touched it in sincerity. Right? Or with sincerity. So this shows us again that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يَفْعَلُ مَا وَيُرِيد That Allah does whatever He wills and how He wants to and when He wills. No one can question what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to do. So for us, where is the stone going to talk? But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants a stone to talk, the stone will talk. Like we see authentic narrations with regards to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not only did the human beings send salutations unto him, but the inanimate objects as well send salutations upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's a narration of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam before Masjid Nabawi yani, was expanded in his time and before he had the mimba, a pulpit, he used to lean on what? On a tree. And then they removed this tree. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then had his mimba. And what happens when they started, when they shift, or he didn't stand there at the time? The tree started to cry. It's an inanimate object. If I must tell you today, you tell a child, you know that tree is going to try, cry, he's going to tell me you're crazy. Right? He's going to say, maybe you're doing something you're not supposed to be eating or drinking, and that's why you're talking this funny things to me. But at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such and that tree, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed it in way. It's a narration that says that it's easy in So, and the companions and the Prophet heard it. They heard this tree weep. Why? Because he's now lost the companionship of the best of creation. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this should be a lesson for us as well. And obviously we'll touch on this more next week when we look at the history of Medina. But is that if an inanimate object can feel this way, or Allah gave it that power to weep over the Prophet wasallam, then what shouldn't our connection be with the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Touching, kissing, or pointing to the black stone, this is the first thing to be done when starting the tawaf, whether it is for hajj or for umrah or a voluntary tawaf. What is a voluntary tawaf? Huh? 
ibadat your tawaf, you want to go tawaf anytime. It's not attached to hajj, it's not attached to umrah. Right, so you wait for umrah, you finish your umrah. Now tomorrow you feel you want to go tawaf. Must you put on ihram again? No. Right, you go in whatever clothing you're in. And you go, how many times must you walk there? For that tawaf? Seven. Right, so that is a voluntary tawaf. Right, here's a mas'ala that comes up. It's a contemporary mas'ala. And this is the following. Right, for those that's going now, and basically whenever you're going to go from now onwards, it seems like it's like this now. Only people that's making umrah can be at the bottom by the Kaaba on the Matav. Only people that's making umrah. So what a lot of people do, what do you think they do? For voluntary tawaf? They put on the haram. Is this permissible or not permissible? There's no hadith, there's no hadith that says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that after your umrah, you cannot put on a haram when you go tawaf. Right? So there's no hadith, there's no ayah. So now is it still permissible, yes or no? Not permissible, why? Okay, let's first ask the sisters. Is it permissible for a man to put on his haram? And go and tawaf. <coughs> Sisters? Not permissible. Brothers? Not permissible. Right? So it's not permissible. Why isn't it permissible? It is not permissible because the authorities, they have their reasons for safety, etc. And because the person in authority or the authorities has given this, then it makes it not permissible. Right? So there's a reason why. It's the same thing with I'tika, for example, in Makkah or Medina. They have certain places for you to sleep. If you decide to go sleep somewhere else, right? then you are sinning. Why? So they say, yeah, but the other masjid, it's a whole, the whole haram is a masjid. Yes, I agree with you. But because the authorities have told you, it's the same thing here in, the, in a masjid. And you go to a masjid here, it's time for itikaf. They tell you, this is the itikaf area. People can only sleep here. You can't go sleep on the mimbana. Because you feel now that man is snoring next to me. You must sleep in your demarcated area. So what if, and Allah forbid, you decide to go sleep somewhere must in the Haram, whether it's Medina or Makkah, and because of you sleeping, people trip and fall, and it causes a stampede, and then, that's why they told you, and they demarcated certain areas for you to go. The same thing with the Tawaf, it is not permissible, because you are cheating, and the Prophet sallallahu said, man minni, that whosoever cheats, and deceives, is not from me. So, just yesterday, I had some visitors from Johannesburg and that, and they speaking and they talking about Umrah and that, and then the one uncle says, yeah, you know, um, me, I made my tawafu with that, and I made my this and that, they at the bottom, like his Umrah. So, uh, you know, out of Umrah, he said, everyone was like, but how? So he's like, no, I just put on my haram. And then I told him, but that's not permissible, you're not allowed. He's like, yeah, well, I asked the mufti. 
And the Mufti said, yeah, you, you don't need to worry about the authorities. You don't need to worry about the authorities now, right? It's fine because everything is safe. But Allah forbid something happens. And then who's the first people you blame? The authorities. Then you say, yeah, why didn't they put signs up? Why didn't they put security? Why didn't they do this? But they told you, don't cheat. They told you, you can only go there for Umrah. But you still go. So this is important. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Ya ladina amanu ati'ullaha wa ati'ur rasoola wa ulil amri minkum. That, oh, you will believe, obey Allah and His Messenger and those in charge of you. And this goes for us as well, eh? in our land. Why is it traffic lights? For a reason. And if you skip a red light and they catch you, can you say, oh no, Allah don't, there's no ayah or hadith. So I'm Muslim, there's no ayah or hadith that say, he's going to find you. Why? Because this is the law of the country. You can't con, or you can't want to bypass the law because laws are there for the reasons. Yes, if the law is anti-Islam, if it goes against the Quran and it goes against the Sunnah and it's infringing on your belief, then this is something different. But as for normal laws, for example, stop streets, traffic lights, speed limits, this is all for general, for the maslaha, for the safety of the people. Right? You know, when you speak to people overseas, then we used to say in robots. Right, so I had a friend studying with me from UK, so I was like, are you not going to stop at the robot? And he's like, where's the robot? I don't see a robot. So I was like, ah, okay, traffic light. And yeah, so, right? So when you speak, you must say, traffic lights, not robots. Uh, did we do this, Ali? No. Jabir radiallahu anh, he said that when the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came to Mecca, he came to the black stone, he touched it, then he walked to the right, of it and he ran three times. What is that called? Ramal. Is this for males and females or only the males? Mm-hmm. What was the reason for the Ramal? Anyone? Because in the time when they were the first year they came back. And they uh-huh. had to show the courage that they were they were strong. Strong, strong and because they were because at that time they were yeah. sick, right? Uh-huh. There was some sickness or people were weak. So they needed to show the courage that they were strong. So what did they do? They open the one shoulder. Right shoulder. The right shoulder. Right. So now there's no courage, but we still open the right shoulder. It is a sunnah of the Prophet And to ramble three times. Is it a sunnah? Yes, it is. Now, obviously, ramble, it doesn't mean doing a hundred meter sprint. Eh? So don't go run. And especially now, it is, it's full. So you just do that gesture of going or you just walk a bit fast but don't run and lock the people over there the same thing with the sai right between the two green lights then the men supposed to move a bit faster sometimes you see right i've seen this <laughs> and the man is running his sprint and the whole family is at the back and they must not catch up with him and that, right so just take your time and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best so the prophet sallallahu he did this three times and then he walked four times that comes to how many times Seven. So one tawaf is equivalent to seven shots. Oh, salaikum salam. Oh, circumambulations. So one tawaf is equal to seven. I met a man once, right? On, well, he came on Hajj. 
So we're speaking, he's like, yeah, you know, subhanallah, I'm tired, man. He says, I'm tired. So now we're speaking, and it's like, so why? Like, but I mean, he wasn't old, and it's, I was like, why are you so tired? And he's generally, I know from here, he was like a fit person, and I still run cycle, and I, so he's like, no, man, you know, I was by a lung, man. I said, okay, like, not that long, but okay, why? He said, because I walked 49 times. <laughs> but first, it didn't click, man. I said, 49 times. He said, yeah, it's most, most seven times seven, seven, seven times seven, 49. I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and I had to explain to him, he's like, oh, okay, I was what to say, man. Because everyone else said they finished the Umrah quickly. <laughs> I only came back like three, four hours afterwards. But now he said it makes sense. Why? Alright? So one tawaf is equivalent to seven circumvolutions. Not seven times seven, eh? Just remember that. So if you see. And obviously, right, it's a circle. So the further away you are from the Kaaba, the longer it's going to take. The closer you are to the Kaaba, the quicker it's going to take. Now, when we studied in Medina, then things have obviously changed now. But basically, after Hajj, then they never used to open Umarah visas for about a month. Right? And earlier years would be even two or three months. Then they would only open Umrah visas. So when we were there, right, it wasn't open. So to go for Umrah was like the best. Right, think of it, the haram is empty. The only people that's there now is the people of Saudi. And weekends people of outside the GCC countries, like for example Dubai and that. And not everyone, they only those citizens because they the commas allow, allowed them to come for Umrah. So you would sometimes you finish your tawaf, you finish your umrah and you think, did it really go so quickly? Because you're literally walking on the Kaaba. So you just walking, 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 and you're done. And even for the Hajj al-Aswad, for the Blackstone, right, you wouldn't find that pushing people stand in a line. And the security, the policeman says, okay, you go, you go, you go, like that. And that, subhanAllah, that, I mean, just that itself. Now, obviously, things have changed. I think immediately after Hajj, they open. Right? They don't even have a week or two weeks anymore, like they used to. And... Also, what you would find is, right, if you go in Umrah like that, then you just see, just see black and you just see white. Right? So all the females is now, like, you know, now if you go for Hajj, you go for Umrah, you see different countries, like the sisters, they hijab, different colors, you know, Malaysians, they're very colorful, oh, people from India, and that they have different colors, what they wear. But generally, the GCC places and that, I mean, they wear black, right? They are buyers, they just stick to the black. So you literally just seen black and you seen white on the matah. So that was basically how quick your tawaf can go. Right? I'm not going to go into all the things what you say on that because that's part of the fit that you will do worship. I think you did it already. Worship no, Ridah? This week. Okay, sorry. The Prophet وسلم, he kissed the black stone and his ummah followed his lead in doing so. Anna Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu qala li rukni amam. Wallahi inni 
Indeed, I know that you are but a stone. And he says, You don't benefit and you don't harm. So now I said I want to take you back to where I asked the question, what was what was that slider? And we spoke about the what? Why it's closed and that now. So, here first of all, <coughs> Umar is telling the Blackstone, You don't benefit, you don't harm, cause harm, nor do you benefit. And this is the belief of a Muslim. Right? This is a belief of every single Muslim, male and female, young and old, that nothing can harm you except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or through his permission, then something can harm you. Nothing can bring benefit to you, except through the permission and the help or the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this obviously brings up something important. And this shows you the belief and the tawheed of Umar ibn Khattab and that of the Sahaba, that in anything, whether it's Hajj, whether it's Umrah, whether it's recitation of the Quran, whatever, there will always be a lesson of Tawheed. There will always be a lesson of belief in it. And here we can see that he tells the black stone or he addresses him that you give no benefit, nor can you harm. And the only reason why I'm touching you in other narrations that they kissed you is because I saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do this. Now the same thing why the maqam of Ibrahim is covered in it now. Because what did that narration say? That because the people were touching it. And many people unfortunately today, they touch things in Makkah, in Medina for what reason? thinking that they're going to seek blessings from this. Right? I've seen this. Right? I've seen people going to a wall, they're rubbing the wall in the masjid. That's my little mirror. Right? But he's rubbing it, he's taking his scarf, if you have on the ladies taking a scarf, a hijab, and they're rubbing on it. They think that this brings benefit and it seeks and brings blessings. It does not. The only thing that brings blessings is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put blessings in. And I narrate to you a, a hadith. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he goes out to some of his companions one day. 
and they come across and they see a tree. And the street is called what they know, it is known as Adatu Alwan. And the Sahaba, they asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam if he can make this a what? If he can make for them something that is also blessed. Because why the Quraysh, they would hang the swords on the street for blessings. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not do this. So from this hadith we learn that to seek blessings from other which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put blessings in, then this is not allowed and this is haram. Another important point from this hadith, that narration that we can take out, right? there's about two or three points I want to speak about here. One of the most important points also is that we can take out is that nothing can benefit you or ward on. And this especially comes in something in our community that people tend to have a lot, whether it's on babies, whether it's on bigger people, which is called Tawiz, or what they call in Kaitan what? Azimas. No? Azima. Alright? They call it Tawiz or Ta'uz. Ta'uz. Alright? Now, this is basically gen, or most of the time it's something and it's wrapped in black. Right? Either put it around the neck of the baby or they tie it onto their vest, right? To the grower inside, or put it up by the door in the house or by the windows, right? Sometimes wrapped in foil and then in brown paper, right? They put it up. And many people, they believe that their house is protected because of this. They believe that the child is protected because of the Taoist. If they didn't believe that, why are they putting it on in the first place? For what reason? There's no reason. And many a times, these Taoists, it has shirkiyat in it. It has things or aspects of shirk in it. Right? So each of you sitting here, you know if you have this Taoist at home, Open it. Right? I want you to open it. Or if you don't want to open it, you bring it to me next week, I will open it for you. Right? Maybe it's actually better if you don't open it. And now for certain reasons, inshallah, we won't want to go into that. But maybe if you find it there, you can bring it and I'll open it. So most of the time, these things are photocopied. Because it's photocopied, it has no harm, it has no what. But if it's not photocopied and it's handwritten, it could possibly cause more harm than benefit. Now the first thing in there is a whole lot of jumbled up numbers. Is not Quran ayah. Now the Sahaba, they themselves differed. Right? Listen carefully. They themselves differed. Can you write a Tawith with only using ayat of Quran? Nothing else. So you write in there, for example, ayat of Kursi. Or you write Kulwallahu Ahad. Or you write Surah Al-Fatiha. They differed on this. This is Quran. Now what's still about other things that don't even make sense? That's not even Quran. And according to the most preponderant view is that one shouldn't write. Or shouldn't even if it's Quran. That is the strongest view. So that was the first point about the Tawith. That don't rely on these things. These things 
they cannot benefit you. It is only you, you make your morning azkar, you read your evening azkar, you read the Quran, this is protection for you. The Prophet taught us certain to us. Like for example, you come into a new place, you go to the mall, you go to wherever you go and you reach a place, I see protection in Allah. Right? From anything that's evil that was created. Right? This is going to protect you. A piece of paper cannot protect you. And then the third point of this, he says, Inni that I saw the Prophet do this. And this shows us the importance of following Muhammad. This shows us. We've reached now, right, the end of Safar. Right? We know what month we've entered. People start go to crazy people starting to go crazy in this in the month of Rabiul Awal. Right? Now it's Mawlud, this Diaz, 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 right? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he never celebrated his birthday. His Sahaba never celebrated his birthday. No one celebrated the birthday up until the fifth or sixth, right? Six hundred years after Hijrah. It was started by the Fatimiyah, the Shia Empire in Egypt. Thereafter, it was revived by Ibril, the King Mudaffar. Right? I'm not going to go into all this. The point is. The Prophet sallallahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Ali Imran, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُحْبِبَكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ Say, O Muhammad, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ That if you truly love, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ That if you love Allah, right, or you want Allah to love you, then what should you do? فَاتَّبِعُونَ Then follow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This hadith of Umar ibn Khattab, this shows us and it teaches us. He says, Inni ra'aytun nabiyya. That indeed I saw, that I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam doing this. Zamzam water. Anyone got Zamzam? <laughs> this Zamzam is the name of, oh, just by the way, maf, maf, maf. This is how you get Zamzam water in Mashidun Nabuhi and Mashidun Haram. Right? This is where how you will get the Zamzam. There's also other types in, in Mashidul Haram that you can get. But generally these are containers that you see. <coughs> some will say cold and some will say or just don't have anything that's room temperature. Right? Don't. <laughs> Nowadays a lot of people they tell you, you mustn't drink the cold Zamzam. You mustn't drink the cold Zamzam, it's going to affect your throat. Those days are gone, of when they used dry ice and it caused throat infections. I, I lived there for six years. I never, and I only drank cold zamzam. I never even got the throat infection because of the dry ice that they put. They don't put dry ice anymore. They have like a liquid now that's under the thing that keeps it cold. Secondly, they don't throw ice in the thing. Because if they throw ice in it, it would contaminate the zamzam. Right? Even that, right? This is the other masala. Question. If I mix zamzam water with normal water, does it still keep the same reward as zamzam? Yes or no? Sisters first. Sorry? No. No. Okay. Brothers? 
No. Answer is he does. Right? So you can have a little samsa. Right? Like this. So little. 50 moles, 60 moles. And you throw it in a two liter water. Then that water will become samsa and you get that reward of making the samsa. Right? So it has that potential to make it. But okay, this is proven by, and this I've heard myself from one of um, the Mashaikh, um, Sheikh Ali. Um, Ethiopia, he was a chef from Ethiopia, he moved to Mecca many years ago and he passed away I think last year, the age of like 90 or 90 odd and the chef specifically explained and he cited evidence for this and also brought scholars of the past that if you mix water with Zamzam then that water becomes Zamzam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be honest and this shows us the importance of knowledge, right? Because growing up in Kaita, you would hear people make this joke. Right? They said, go in the water in me. Is that right? And I used to think these people are crazy. Why would you do that? But then, and this question always stuck with me. Right? And when we studied the Shih's book, or we studied with him, it happened and this question was posed to him and he explained it. So, this is the importance of knowledge as well. Sometimes we think something Right? Or we think that, you know, it's just Baigalofutsisme. No, the old people, they said that. But they actually have, there's some form, like for example, you must, when must the children be in at night? Before Maghrib. And what must be done in the house? Close the, win close the windows. Alright? So again, growing up, ah, there's all old people stuff, man. But this hadith of the Prophet that says you must close the windows at Maghrib time. Close it. So maybe the old people, certain things, they were just taught, but they didn't have the hadith to back it up. Right? They would tell you, you must read Ayatul Kursi, you must read this, read that, but they didn't know why they were doing it. Now you come later and, oh, okay, the Prophet said this. For example, we grew up, my parents, my mother, my granny, they would never ever leave a vessel open. Never ever. Either it must go in the fridge or it must be closed, even if it's with a piece of, uh, with the other saucer, you know, <laughs> they'll cover the glass. My granny, up until, before she passed away last year, up until 97, she'd have water, right, at night at the bedside, but it must have a cover. It must have a cover. And then you come, when you study, you learn the hadith of the Prophet, that all vessels must be covered at night. So, some of the things, right? Is, is backed up by hadith. But unfortunately, many of the other things also <laughs> is not backed up by hadith. Like when you come in after 12 and you must walk back to Now. No. Right, so Zamzam is the fame is the name of a famous well in Al Masjidun Haram. Which is about thirty-eight cubits away from the Kaaba. It is the well of Ismail, the son of Ibrahim, from which Allah quenched the thirst of Ismail when he was an infant. Right? And we know this whole story. Right? We know this whole thing of his mother, where did she run? Safa and Marwa, right? I don't have Safa and Marwa on here. 
right? But because it's quite simple, that you walk seven times, where do you stop? Right? You're going to do what you think, but where do you stop? Why? No, because Allah says start that in the Quran. In and the Prophet says in the hadith, you start there. Why? Because Allah started it. In That indeed Safa and Marwa is how many times? Seven. So if you start by if you start by Safa, what must you end? By Marwa. Alright? So if you end by Safa and you know you count it? Wrong. <laughs> right? So he was in the Right? His mother looked for water for him but could not find it. And this happened how many times she ran up and down. She climbed on the top of Asafa praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give water. Then she climbed on top of Marwa, did the same thing. Allah sent Jibreel and he struck the earth with his heels and water appeared. And this water is there up until today. Walhamdulillah. The virtues of Zamzam. The Prophet said concerning Zamzam, it is a blessing and it is food that satisfies ta'mun ta'mun. It is a food that satisfies it satisfies. That Zamzam quenches the thirst. Right? And this is found in Bukhari. It's another narration who added onto this found in Muslim and a cure for the sick. Sick. Right, shifa'un. It is a cure for those that is sick, for those that is sick. Right, zamzam is a cure. So, if you have zamzam and someone is ill, right, let them drink zamzam. Allah and they must have firm belief that the zamzam is going to cure you. Bi idnillahi ta'ala, it is going to cure you. The same like the ajwa dates. Have you meet someone? But I eat ajwa dates every day, my God, you must have the firm conviction that this is a cure and it's going to cure and obviously also where this comes that you can't be drinking zamzam for example just an example drinking zamzam you know eating ajwa but your income is haram smoking cigarettes listening to music no but I have firm conviction Allah is going to help me but you're doing everything else haram but now you're expecting this to cure it needs to be a balance Right? You need to do everything properly and then, right? and yes, people have been cured from these things. So, with a con- or firm conviction. So, it is not only, right, drinking the zamzam means that a person does not need to eat. Right, need to eat and it will cure his sickness, but this is when he drinks it with faith and sincerity. As proven in the hadith of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari who stayed in Makkah for a month without any nourishment except Zamzam. He only drank Zamzam for a month and he was fine. Ibn al-Abbas, right? Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, Afwan, Allah be pleased with him, he said that the people used to compete over Zamzam during the time of Jahiliyyah. People who, who had children used to bring them and give them to drink. And this was the early morning rituals. We used to think that it was, or that it was a helpful people who had children. And Abbas said during the Jahiliyyah, Samzam, Samzam was known as Shaba'ah. 
satisfaction. Right, before I get to that, there are many narrations from the likes of Imam al-Shafi'i and many of the Salaf that whatever dua they would make before drinking the Zamzam, it would come into reality. One of the du'as that Imam Shafi made was that whenever he shoots an arrow, it must hit. Yani just using the word bullseye, meaning he must get a hundred or hundred, and then you would drink Zamzam, he never even must after that. Right? Many of the narrations, there's actually books written, right? books not translated to English, but there are books written, actually maybe 80, 90 pages, of stories of the pious predecessors of the du'as of drinking Zamzam, and that it came into reality. Now we move on to the Multazam. You know the Multazam? Right? It's that day that the people have Right? Multazam. There is no specific dua that the Muslim should say in that place. He can cling onto the Multazam when he enters the Kaaba if it is easy for him to enter. Or he may do that performing the farewell, Tawafal, Wada. Or he may do it at any time he wants. You should not cause difficulty for other people by offering a lengthy dua. Now, I specifically didn't speak about the black stone and difficulty. I waited for you. Right? The black stone is included in this. Actually, anything on your hajj or your umrah. If you want to do something, right? And I think Shaykh Muslimin mentions this later in one of the other slides. But just to give you a qaida. A sunnah, right? Many of these things are sunnah. But not to harm a Muslim is a far. So how does a sunnah ever take preference over a far? So if you go into a blackstone and you're eating and you're pushing and you're kicking to do and fulfill a sunnah, but you are harming your Muslim brother or your Muslim sister, which is far not to do that. That is haram. So you need to look at that. So if going to the Multazam is going to cause that you make it difficult for other people, then one shouldn't go and do it. If it's cool and calm, then by all means, go. <coughs> what was narrated from the Sahaba? Concerning the Multazam is sounder than that which has been narrated from the Prophet. Now, does this sound contradictory? Just read it. Does it sound contradictory? What was narrated from, narrated from the Sahaba is more. What did it say? Right? It's sounder, more authentic than that which is narrated from the Prophet. What does this mean? Sounds blasphemous. So what does it mean? Hmm? Exactly. So the ahadith that speaks about the Prophet and the Multazam, right? the chain of narrations are weaker than the narrations that, the, that has to do with the Sahaba and the Multazam. So their chain of narrations, meaning the people in their Sanad, in their chains of narrations are more thicker, their chains are more authentic than the narrations speaking about the Prophet or narrating what the Prophet said about the Multazam. 
It's not anything to do with the honor of the Prophet or what the Prophet said. It's only to do with authenticity. That's it. Right, Abdurrahman ibn Safwan. Right, him, yes. When the Messenger of Allah conquered Makkah, I said, I will put on my garments as my house was on the road. And I will wait and see what the Messenger of Allah does. So I went and I saw that the Prophet had come out of the Kaaba, he and his companions, and they were touching the house from the door to the black stone. They placed their cheeks against the house, right? The Murtazam. And the Messenger of Allah was in there, but actually he's speaking about the whole desert. Right? This hadith is found in Abu Dawud and its isnad is weak. Right? The chain is weak. And those people at the bottom, Yahya ibn Ma'in, Abu Hatim, and Abu Zurah, and others, they made this hadith weak. Narrated by Amr ibn Shu'ib, right? That his father said, so his father was Amr ibn Shu'ib. Right, so who was his father? What was his father's name? Who? No, not the Prophet. Alright? That his father said, I said, I made tawaf around the Kaaba with Abdullah. And when we came to the back of the Kaaba, I said, Will you not seek refuge with Allah? He said, we seek refuge with Allah from the fire. Then he proceeded to touch the stone. And he stood between the corner and the door and placed his chest, face, arms and hands like this. He spread them out. Then he said, this is what I saw the Prophet ﷺ do. And this hadith is also weak. But these two hadith, they corroborate one another. And this is why Sheikh Al-Bahari said this hadith are Hassan. So you can have a few weak hadith, but they all speak about the same thing. They're not extremely weak. Then many of the scholars they will say that the one corroborates with the other one, and it becomes hasan and okay to use, and Allah knows best. Shaykh Muhammad Salih ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah ta'ala, nearly done. He says, this is a matter concerning which scholars differ, although it was not narrated by the Prophet that in the Sahih Hadith as the Hadith that were narrated concerning this, speaking about the Muldazam, were deemed to be Ta'if, weak. Rather it was narrated from some of the Sahaba. So is the Iltizab, Iltizab means to clean. So is the cleaning on the Muldazam, is it Sunnah? When should it be done upon arrival or when about to leave or at any time? The reason for this difference of opinion amongst the scholars is that it is not narrated in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, rather the companions narrated or they used to do it when they arrived in Makkah. The Fuqaha said, the people of Fiqh, that he the pilgrim should do that when about to leave and should cling on the Muntazam, which is the area between the corner where the black stone is located and the door based on this. There's nothing wrong with the Muntazam clinging to it, so long as that does not involve annoying or harming other people. And Allah knows best. And this is the end of my session, Sheikh Ridaya. Not yet? Okay, inshallah.